So, Bob, I have an email from a patron I want to run past you. What do you say? Absolutely. Let's talk. This is the psych... Took? Let's took or talk? Talk. Did you say took? I might have. It kind of sounded like you said, let's, let's took. Don't edit that out. Okay. Let's leave it in. <laughs> this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am Bob uh, Gettle. I'm a, a counselor downtown here in, or here in Seattle and a licensed counselor myself. Where is your office? Is Down, it North Cap- Capitol Hill. Oh, Capitol Hill. Okay. This is from patron Ethan. Dear Dr. Honda, first of all, I love the podcast and I'm a patron of it. I have questions regarding the educational required the education required to become a therapist. I've been considering becoming a psychotherapist. I'm trying to figure out what makes sense in terms of pathways to it. Do you have a sense of the difference between an MSW versus an MA and MFT or MHC? The episode on why people become therapists was great, but I was wondering what are some of the things you think people should consider before becoming a therapist? Any thoughts you can provide would be greatly appreciated. Bob, what do you say? This is right up our alley, right? Absolutely. Let's took. (laughs) (laughs) So Bob and I made the leap at the exact same moment in October of 1995 to start our graduate program. I was in marriage and family therapy getting my master's in. Bob was getting his master's in mental health counseling. But we were at the same school, and our school combines those two and has a lot of overlapping overlapping classes. So, you know, what advice do we have to people in terms of what they should consider and before making that leap and how they should make that leap? That's a really good question. I, I don't actually know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, say you had a younger brother or a cousin or, I don't know, a nephew, a niece. I don't know why I have to make it a male. Why am I, oh, because it's patron Ethan. Maybe that's... Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. But anyway, okay. so so say Ethan is your nephew, right. young guy, 22. He's like, I want to be a therapist, but I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what should I think about and what direction? And if I did decide, like, how do I decide what graduate program to oh, go to? Oh, right. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I think every, every, everybody that's embarking on becoming a therapist should be in therapy or have been in therapy at some point. Okay, good. Um, you learn about what it's like yeah. and you get an idea of what the job is like. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm always kind of leery about folks who've never been in therapy. I know, right? It's just really weird. Yeah. We just recently, I don't know, four or five years ago, made it a requirement in our program now. Rock on. Because remember back in the day, it wasn't. Oh, not at all. wasn't a requirement. And so in, many, the, in the PsyD or the MA? MA, yeah. Right. Good. Right. So, and PsyD. All the psychology programs. Good. Good. It's required now to be in therapy. But it wasn't before. The reason why we didn't require it before was because whenever you add a requirement to a program, you have to enforce it. Right. Which means that if someone doesn't do it, you have to kick them out of the program or like impose Mm. sanctions. And you have to keep track of it. And you have to like have paper. It's like it adds, whenever you add a requirement, it it creates a, a lot of problems. Right. And our thinking was, you know, let students make their own choice. Plus, Most of them are in therapy anyway. Most of them. And and the other thing is, how do you force people into therapy when they don't want to be, was yeah. another thought. But then at a certain point, there was this tipping point where we're just like, fuck it, let's just make it a requirement. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Most other programs, 
that it, we know of anecdotally make them do it. Right. And I think it's a reasonable requirement. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, we offer cheap therapy be, uh, oh, to no our students. Yeah. Uh, our new graduates, you know, people that just graduated, uh, we will ask them to offer sessions for $35 an hour, a session, which is really cheap. Yeah. And not use insurance. But thirty-five bucks a session, and you're being therapized by a graduate of the program that you are in. So the therapist knows what you're going through right. intimately. Yeah, and it's a it's it's been a wonderful program. Uh, the clients um, universally love it. They're like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad you connected me with that person." Yeah, and of course, it introduces some interesting dual role, you know, issues for everyone. Uh, but navigated well, it, it works out really well. Yeah. So anyway, when you decided to go to Antioch, how did you decide to go there and not one of the other schools? Yeah, good question. Uh, actually, Tony Collis at my interview dissuaded me. <laughs> From going to Antioch? Yeah. Did. Really? Did I tell you that? No. Yeah. Um, I picked Antioch uh, for geographical reasons. Okay, I lived close. in Seattle. It was close by. Um, it was Where also- were you living at the time? Were you leaving? West Seattle. West yeah. Seattle. Oh, yeah. that's right. That's yeah. right. Um, and also because it was a master's program that I could do in six quarters. Yeah. Back then, you could get the CMHC degree in in one and a half years. One and a half years. Now, at a minimum, I think it's three years. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably better. Yeah. It was pretty quick and dirty when we were yeah. in school. Though, I would say um, a very good experience. I really liked graduate school, and I did learn a lot. It was mm-hmm. good. But did you consider Seattle U and SPU and no. these other places? Well, those two are religiously based, so that wouldn't appeal to me. And the only other program around was well, the UW had an MSW program. Yeah. Why didn't you choose that? I think because I was actually interested in psychology and not in social work. Yeah. But, you know, where I'm from, I'm from Pennsylvania. And at the time, you could not practice with a master's degree pretty much anywhere on the East Coast. And so when I moved out here, I met all these people that were practicing with master's degrees. And I thought they got all, all got kicked out of graduate school. Uh, with the terminal masters. And actually, it's a question I'd like to ask, I've been wanting to ask you, which is you have a nice perspective on having been a master's student and worked for many years and then been a, psycho- uh, a doctoral student and um, now having that. What do you think? What do you mean? Um, which one should be? So do? Ethan's wondering what kind of program should he get a master's yeah. degree? Now he's looking at several different master's degrees and. Um, but there are doctoral degrees yeah. that are, should be considered as well, I suppose. I think they really should, but yeah. you could probably speak to that. Yeah. So I'll just give my general impression. I you know, obviously don't have all the data in my head. But there and it depends on the region you live in. Right. But the United States is becoming more uniform as time moves on. But generally speaking, as I talk, it's it's as a West Coast and particularly as a Seattle person, because actually California is, has its own kind of deal. So the Western United States, I guess this would apply to to some extent, the East coast. Anyway, um, you have masters in social work, which can't, some programs, masters in social work are very similar to your and my program, Bob of MH of mental health counseling and marriage and family therapy. Mm -hmm. However, there are some masters of social work programs that are very different that's the thing about social work is it means a lot of things. It means it can mean being a therapist. Like for instance, my current therapist is a master's is, is, is an MSW. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And so you can be an MSW master's social work, you know, a, a licensed 
clinical social worker and be indistinguishable for, from you and me, yeah, Bob. That's true. You, however, you can, I've also supervised an MSW who was trained and uh, had clinical experience almost primarily in hospitals and knew about how to do intakes and, you know, like a homeless guy comes in off the street and is being treated for some medical issue and the doctors will call the MSW and say, come in here because this person is, you know, exhibiting some sort of psychological issue. And then the MSW rushes in and does like a 20 minute assessment uh, and dogs barking and tries to find out if there's any mental illness or there, you know, psychiatric medications that the person is on and, you know, it does a very quick and dirty and, you know, might be very empathic and might provide some soothing kinds of statements, but really your, your job is nothing close to being a therapist. No. You don't have an ongoing, you, you're, you're not likely to have an ongoing relationship with that person. And so, so that's my experience with MSW people. Uh, and my guess is, is that, and I know this about the University of Washington's program, is that they have a certain section of their curriculum that is dedicated to psychotherapy, but they have a whole other section of their curriculum that is dedicated to the kind of work, the kind of classes that will help you be able to work in hospitals and do those kinds of do those kinds of assessments and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Or you might work for an insurance company like Group Health, again doing quick and dirty assessments. Um, well, some of them do like things like discharge planning for right. Folks that are inpatient. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you might work as a part of a team yeah. of psychiatrists and psychiatric people. And again, provide very little actual talk therapy in an yeah. office of that. Right. Sort. Okay. So you should know that about MSW. And for some people, that's very appealing. It's like, whoa, I can do all that kind of stuff. That yeah. sounds that sounds cool. To me, that was abhorrent. Like, I just, just like, I, don't, I just want to be a therapist. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to do all that other stuff. Um, and then you have mental health counseling and marriage and family therapists who are extremely similar, so similar that they can often be extremely indistinguishable because <laughs> you can have, for instance, Bob as a mental health counselor who treats the exact same clientele that I do as a marriage and family therapist. We both treat mainly currently in our current stage of our career. We, we both treat individuals and couples Yes, <laughs> and we both uh, do it well. And so uh, you know, but I'm a marriage and family therapist and he's a mental health counselor. Yeah. So the, the, and, and as a marriage and family therapist, I could, if I wanted to only work with individuals, I don't have to see couples or families at all. When I'm being trained, I have to work with couples and families because you need to accrue a certain amount of hours with, with those kinds of folks. Mental health counselors don't need those kind of hours, but they can get those hours. So, uh, do so the, do the MHCs, if they do family work, it counts, right? It counts. Right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. It's just not typical. Right. Um, you know, but, but there are plenty of, I have, a. actually I'm in my class right now, I'm teaching applied family therapy and, uh, there's always some students that are mental health counselors who want training and family, yeah. th- want training, family therapy. Right. And so, and, um, and I will occasionally get postgrad MHCs who will hire me as a supervisor for their work with couples because they just, they didn't get any specific training in that. And so they want help with that. Very smart. It's a different animal. Yeah, 
totally. It's a lot more counter transfery if, if you <laughs> um, so now mental health counseling today the programs are very buttoned up. They didn't used to be when Bob was going to school. Yeah. Today they're accredited by KCREP usually and have very specific guidelines. There were certain minimal criteria uh, to uh, meet state requirements, right? Right. I don't even remember what they were, but... Yeah, they weren't robust, let's no. just put it that no, way. No, I would say not. Yeah. yeah, and it was same for marriage, of, although marriage and family therapy back then had more requirements. Yeah, when I moved to Seattle, you could be a certified mental health counselor. They didn't have a license, they had a certification, and not have any graduate training. <laughs> and folks that were already CMHCs were grandfathered in when the licensure come around. Right. Crazy. Now... It's, you know, it's, it's quite buttoned yeah, up in, yeah. in, in a, in a way, the current mental health counseling and to some extent, the marriage and family therapy degree is equivalent to a doctorate was 20 years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. So, so anyway, um, now marriage and family therapists, uh, the way I like to tell people is you're trained to work with not only marriages, couples and families, but you're also very much trained to work with individuals. So so you can work with all those groups, and including group therapy. Uh, mental health counselors in the beginning tend to have specialized skills in individuals and groups and not in couples and families. Yes. Uh, mental health counselors are also perhaps a little better prepared to work with mentally ill people, chronically severe mentally ill people, because internship will often involve oh, that. Yeah, right. Marriage and family therapy almost never involves severe mental illness. My career and my training of other marriage and family therapists almost never involves schizophrenia or bipolar or any of those things. Yeah. Whereas you in your early career definitely had experience no, in that. Many, many folks with those kinds of troubles. Right. And so I could count on two hands like how many schizophrenia bipolar people I've seen in my in my twenty plus years. Yeah. And so or twenty years. So um okay. So there's that. that so I will Ethan, say. should should we direct Ethan to get a master's degree or a doctoral? Right. So um so there's doctorate degrees in marriage and family therapy. There's doc degrees in counseling. Bob, you could go, you could use your degree and go into a doctoral program at Antioch called a, it's a KCREP program of a doctorate in counselor education and supervision. There's uh, in my field, there's doctorates in marriage and family therapy. And then there's this whole other field that I haven't talked about called psychology. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's where you get trained to be a licensed psychologist. Right. And they're often uh, uh, accredited by the American Psychological Association, APA. And that's what I have. So not only do I have a master's in marriage and family therapy, but I also started over. And so if I just, so with my master's in marriage and family therapy, I could have just gone into a doctorate in marriage and family therapy. And that doctorate would have would have honored my master's in marriage and family therapy. So I would have started my doctorate midway through the doctorate, if that yeah. makes any sense. Getting a doctorate in psychology, they didn't honor my master's at all because the way that our field works, our fragmented field works, is that they don't honor anyone else's field stuff, even though it's exactly the same. So 
So, you know, social work, if I was to go to social work, they would say, they would treat me like I was a 22-year-old right out of college. Now, what would you say the percentage of class overlap you and I had back in the day? Right. So you, so you and I, Bob, were in the same school, and, and our program has a very unique situation in which we have, we offer both mental health counseling and yeah. marriage and family therapy. Usually universities will choose one or the other and will hate the other group, but, yeah. but we actually, you know, have cats and dogs you know, living together just like in Ghostbusters, right? And 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 so what they do is they say, well, let's not, you know, uh, let's save costs, I guess, and let's offer classes to both. You know, like we we both had the same multicultural perspectives right. class, and the both both have the same counseling skills class, ethics, ethics class, right? Research class, because it's the same. It's the same, right? So. What was it, about 75% of the classes we took overlap, you think? Really? Yeah, maybe. Maybe more? I mean, I remember not distinguishing and oh. between, like, I, I don't remember who was who. No. You knew who was who at internship, because I, I think that was maybe perhaps the only time it really differentiated. Right, because you guys, LMF, or the LMFT folks, or the MFT folks had your own supervision, we had our own, right? Is right. That, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now because of accreditation and state requirements and stuff, it's a lot more separate. Yeah. We, you know, you might take 15 to 20 classes and only eight of those are shared, shared. between the two groups. Uh -huh. Anyway. So a doctor in psychology, uh, with the purpose of getting you licensed as a psychologist is, is a rigorous, very, uh, comprehensive degree that involves you know, because being a licensed psychologist means that you're you're qualified, or at least the, you have the beginning elements of being qualified to do a lot of jobs. You and I, Bob, our master's degrees trained us basically to do one thing, yeah, and basically. that was to provide clinical right. psychotherapy services. Yes. That's the general term. Even though right. you're a mental health counselor, I'm yeah. a marriage and family therapist. You call it a you know you call it clinical, clinical. counseling, clinical therapy, or clinical psychotherapy services. Yeah. As a as a licensed psychologist you're trained to do that um albeit sort of briefly i'll put it that out um but you're also trained as a a, a minor medical professional you have to take a lot of classes on biology and and psychopharmacology in some states in the united states psychologists can actually prescribe medication oh i didn't know that yeah i think new mexico or one of those states huh. and there was a big movement about five ten years ago that has sort of petered out to allow all psychologists all around the nation with the idea that one, we charge less two, we spend a lot more time getting to know our, our clients. We can, we have a, we're better able to monitor things. And there was early research showing better outcomes for psychologists. Oh, I bet the AMA had a big problem with that though. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Powerful group of folk. Right, right. Yeah. So, but you know, the APA is no joke no, either. So that's true. Yeah. So, um, so, so that's another thing I'll just say as an asterisk to all this, when you join a profession, often you're, you join a professional kind of gang Yeah. and that has meaning. And, and the American Psychological Association is kind of uppity. They, they think of themselves as superior and maybe they are, I don't know, but they're kind of elitist. They're kind of elitists and, um, they consider themselves to be the top of the heap and, and have an extremely 
robust history and practice of research and yeah. using science. And, you know, their journals are, are often, you know, highly regarded and yeah. I regard them highly as well. Yeah. And then you have counselors who are, you know, considered to be lesser than, and, you know, cause they're just master's level people, even though they might have doctorates, but, but, um, then you have uh, therapy, you know, marriage and family therapists who, you know, depending on who you know, they might not even know about us. But if they do know about us, there's, you know, a lot of var- various opinions that I'll hear. I'll hear this. I'll hear some people say, oh, marriage and family therapists are better because, you know, they're, they're just better trained. Because back in the day, we, we did have yeah, more training it was more than, than, than counselors. So, yeah. so there's sort of a general feeling out there. Like, if you're going to go to someone, go to a marriage and family therapist. Don't go to a counselor. Yeah. But then other people will say, you know, I heard this from a rumor uh, through someone else saying that uh, the woman was saying that marriage and family therapy is a dying a field like like in ten years it won't even exist anymore or something like this. And, really? And maybe that's true. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like that. I'd be surprised if that were true. Yeah. And then you'll hear social workers are hacks, you know, you'll, have you ever heard that before? Like, yeah, you'll hear people saying, you know, social workers, they don't know how to do therapy, but I'm telling you that, you know, many of them do. Yeah. So, um, so you'll hear things and basically all it is, is like you're on the playground in middle school and the jocks are talking shit about the rockers and the rockers are talking shit about the preppies and the preppies are talking shit about the burnouts and the burnouts are talking shit about the nerds. That's all it is. It's just in group out, out group bullshit. That's all it is. Take it from me as someone who is fully, fully both feet in the marriage and family therapy field and then was fully two feet in the psychology field and has, you know, a good number of toes in the mental health counseling field. Since I, I teach mental health counseling students, I can tell you it's all bullshit. Every field has talented, excellent people and right. excellent things about it. And right. every field has a lot of bullshit about it. Too. Anyway, so getting back to psychology, you're also trained how to assess, how to write psychological assessments. You learn statistics and, and testing and measures and norms and bell curves and, all the there's there's thousands of instruments in which you can evaluate someone's personality and learning disabilities and ADHD and psychopathology and you know psychosis you know in my psychology degree I had a class on Rorschach you know I learned how to do Rorschach testing I bet that was cool only licensed psychologists technically speaking can provide those types of tests yeah some counselors are trained to do some of what we might call the minor tests like depression inventories and this kind of thing. But for the the vast majority of, of assessment is done by psychologists and you take a lot of classes on that. Yeah. I took a lot of classes on forensic psychology, how to, it's not like you would think like it's law and order. It's, it's more like um, you assess someone to see, for instance, whether or not they're sane enough to stand trial or whether they were sane at the, at the time of the crime. Um, well, hello, Clarice. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but it sounds sexier than it is. Believe me, it's 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 a lot of monotony, as far as I can tell. No offense to the forensic psychologists out there, but when I took the classes at the end of the time, I was just like, oh man, this just doesn't sound very fun. I mean, it, it sounded interesting at first, but then I like, it's like after ten years of that, I think it would get a little, a little bit of a drag. But that was just me. Would you say it, at heart you're a clinician? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, right now I'm fully trained to, to do assessment and I could, I could care less about yeah. assessment. It just doesn't, it doesn't. It, now, having said there are plenty of people that it's, that's highly interesting and yeah. it's interesting to me, but yeah. 
it's so time consuming. <laughs> one assessment of one patient can take literally 30 hours yeah. of your time yeah. and, or more. And, uh, and if there was a fast way to do it, maybe, but it felt always like homework, you know, writing these reports, yeah. it, it just feels like homework to me anyway. You, but you can get paid a lot more. You can get paid That's two true. to three times more per hour by doing assessments. Even psychologists, um, what fee, does your fees change as a, as a psychologist now? Um, so I'll get into that after I give the last thing. Uh, doctor, all doctoral level people are trained to do research. Yeah. And so whether, and so psychologists are automatically trained to do research, but if you're a doctor in marriage and family therapy or a doctor in counseling, you're also trained to do research. Yeah. So I'll point that out as well. And you're also trained a little bit to do supervision, but again, doctors in marriage and family therapy and counseling are also trained to specifically increase their supervision skills. Um, what was the question you asked? Uh, difference in income. Yeah. There's a very small difference um, in reimbursement from from uh, insurance companies. Something like 5 10%. That's it? That's it. Wow, that's yeah. surprising. So, for instance, you know, insurance companies might pay Bob and I uh, 90 bucks per session or 110 bucks per session. And for psychologists, they would pay, you know, between 100 and 120 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little more, but but not much. And so, you know, and but some will say, well, psychologists they can charge more. Well, anyone can charge as much as they want yeah. and as much as they can get away with. Sure. And there are plenty of psychologists that aren't that don't have enough demand and therefore have to lower their prices. And there are plenty of marriage, family therapists, and counselors that that charge two to three times as much as I charge. What do you charge? George, 140. What do you yeah, charge? 130. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, actually. Because I always, whenever I say it, I, I always expect someone like, really? I charge two, because that's a lot of my colleagues will say, I charge 250. You're only I charging 140. Don't get it. I don't get it either. It seems, it seems exorbitant already. Yeah. 130, 140. How often do you raise your prices? Not in the last two and a half years, I'd say. Oh, okay. Probably about once every two and a half years. Okay. Probably, probably do. Yeah. I mean, if you're going by inflation, three percent, two yeah. and a half years is probably about right. Well, well what do you? How, when? How often do you change? change I that? was one twenty for ten years, yeah, and right. and was just too lazy or something. <laughs> right. And at a certain point, I was just like, "What am I doing?" You know, yeah. like like, and so uh, a couple of years ago, I went to one thirty, and then I think last year I went to one forty. One forty, yeah. And I'm planning to go to one fifty at some point. Yeah, maybe next year. I don't know. Well, you should. It just seems like a round number. It's easier when you got to do one and a half hour sessions if you got a round number. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So that's what I'll say about training programs. And, but the overarching thing that I'll say is to patron Ethan is do your own research. Yeah. Talk to, you're talking to us right now. You're getting right. our opinion. Talk to others. Yeah. You know, go into the field, like get, call a psychologist. Yeah. You know, we're, we're all bleeding hearts. They if you, all want to talk. Right. If you call a psychologist and go, could, could I take you to lunch or yeah. go to coffee or sit down with you for 15 minutes and just sort of find out what your job, what do you do right. on a daily basis? How much do you get paid? You'll, you'll, you'll be pleasantly surprised. I'm guessing people will respond well to that. Ethan might consider talking to people who are interested in what he's interested in. Right. He yeah. wants, he, maybe he's interested in families. So we want to talk to one of those folks or maybe he's interested in, you know, a certain kind of disorder or something. Right. So that's another thing that I want to also say that you're talking about, Bob, which is don't 
think about the degree yeah. first. Think about what do you want to do. Yeah. Do you want to do assessments? Do you want to be a forensic person? Right. Do you want to work in hospitals? Do you want to be just a standard therapist who sits in an office and clients come to you? Do you yeah. want to work with couples? Do you want to do, you know, yeah. figure out the breadth of things you want to do. Right. And then find out the degree that gets you there. Yep. Too many people start with the degree. They're like, well, what degree do I yeah, want? Yeah, well, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like going to college and saying, what should I major in? You know, it's like, well, what do you want to do with it? You, you know, what do you want to do eventually? Right. You know, if you want to work in radio, then you get a communications degree. And if you want to work in law, then you get pre-law. Like it's, it's very dependent on the actual activities that you want to be trained in, yeah. in doing. Um, the other thing I'll say is the vast majority of the public, uh, 99%, they don't have any idea the differences between MSWs and counselors and therapists and psychologists. I frequently have people calling me the wrong name yeah. and I don't correct them because it's like, why even go down that road? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people, you know, will call you doctor sometimes. It happened last week. <laughs> or they'll think you're a marriage and family therapist now that you're seeing couples, you know, but they probably don't even know that exists, you know? I don't think people so, so it doesn't matter as the thing. Most, yeah. you know, people are like, well, because some people will say like, well, what's, what's the most prestigious degree and it's and it's like well within our world we all hate each other so you know <laughs> depends who you ask. That depends. and in the outside world they don't even know yeah. we have a fragmented uh, field right you know which i always find to just be stupid because like in the medical field you don't have like you know different fields within you have different specialties but they all read the same medical book and they all have the same ethics you know what i yeah. mean podiatrists go to the same classes for the first few years as psychiatrists. But in our field, we have these camps, you know, and I just find that to be stupid. I, my, my, my dream would be, we would just combine everything into one other organization and we would just call our, ourselves mental health professionals and we would have specialties in that. You know, we'd all start out with the same classes in the first couple of years. And then if you wanted to be a certified assessor, then you would go down that track. And if you would want to do, you know, advanced psychotherapy, then you go down that track and it, and it wouldn't matter. And there'd be one license and yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, it confuses the matter and it makes it so much more difficult for people like patron Ethan, because once you start something, you're kind of screwing yourself over because you can't go to the other camp. No, you know, you can't just, you can't just say, well, I don't like counseling. I'm going to skip and go to mental. I'm going to go to marriage and family therapy. Like it, it's hard to do that. Yeah. So plus, uh, if he, if he's going to be a mental health counseling student, he probably, he's not going to get any training and assessment. So he misses out on the possibility of finding out about something he couldn't otherwise find out about. Exactly. Which, you know, that yeah. was me. Yeah. And we could start sharing resources. Yeah. As it stands right now, uh, we have four main professions. Professions We have counselors, therapists, social workers, and psychologists. Each of us have our own ethical codes, which I just find extremely aggravating because they're almost identical. Yeah. But they are developed independently <laughs> and worded differently. And yeah. I have to learn all of them because I work with people in all these professions and it's like, just get one ethical code and just, you know, it's because it's not like the psychology ethical codes are in, in contrast or conflict with the marriage and family therapy codes. You know, they're just worded differently or include things that uh, psychology doesn't think need necessarily to be emphasized. You know, but anyway, yeah. Um, The other thing I'll say to 
patron, Ethan, is to investigate the programs themselves by finding out what they do, because two counseling programs can be very different. Two marriage and family therapy programs can be very different. Two psychology programs can be very different. And people can make mistakes. I know many people that will go to programs and will quit. And then they'll end up in my program and they'll, they'll, they'll talk about what they went through. And I always just think, I wonder if that could have been solved by finding out in advance if that's, you know, program was a good match, you know, like for you, Bob, you were like, Oh, those other programs are, are religious. I'll just say in general, I know people from religious programs that have said some extremely awful things about the way their uh, instructors were talking about about gay people. Yeah. Well, being gay ain't a mental illness. <laughs> right. In our university, we have a safe zone, we call it, and there's everyone has these, these uh, gay flag symbols in their offices saying that not only are we just okay with LGBT stuff, but we're actually advocates for a safe zone and Bravo. we adhere to certain principles of of safety and of, of um, acceptance and advocacy and affirmative attitudes. Brilliant. Well, patron Ethan, let us know what you think of the advice. And if anyone else has other things they can add, like I'll, I'll include that in a later episode because I, frankly, I get a lot of questions like this. People frequently ask questions like this. Uh, I'll close by saying to patron Ethan, good for you for, uh, for hearing the call as Bob and I had uh, years ago back when Clinton was president, early in his presidency. Oh, yeah. Bob and I received the call, the calling to help others, to make a difference. I commend Patron Ethan and all you other therapists and counselors out there for for doing that. I really do consider it noble work, not because I want to pat myself on the back. I really consider it noble work. I consider it a... I don't know, like a spiritual thing, you know, it's, it's, if there is a heaven and your good deeds on the planet do create your house in heaven, you will have a comfortable place to live when you die. Well, that does it for this episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, Bob. My pleasure. Glad to be here. And thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) 